Welcome to another episode of the MMA Lockcast. I'm your host, Manpreet, aka MMA Lock of the Night, and your boy on Twitter at MMA LOTN. We are back for UFC Tampa or Tampa Bay. I don't know why they keep dropping the bay whenever somebody says Tampa, but UFC Tampa going down this weekend. We got the return of the violence queen, Ioana Yanjechik. She's coming back to fight the karate hottie. This could be a fucking movie or some shit, like one of those late night TBS fucking movies that you'll find uh, between two very unfortunate and uh, aged actors uh, coming in and it's just a kung fu movie. But for real, as MMA fans, we know that it's Ioana and Jacek, former queen of the strawweight division against the karate hottie who's been a staple for a while now, made her name in the Invicta scene uh, and now she's kind of you know, building a little bit of momentum in the UFC, uh, but she has a really, really tough test, and she's going to be a big underdog coming into this weekend against Yanni and Jacek. So, a uh, couple good fights on it, um, but before we get into that, we're going to be skipping the casuals this week. We got a little bit of a tight schedule this time around, uh, and we're going to be going with the quick recap of this past weekend. So, UFC 243 was this past weekend. Uh, I had a lot of good reads on plays and good lines. Uh, however, I got a little bit overzealous with playing a little bit too much, uh, and we ended up the night minus 1.67 units. Uh, so, we'll quickly go over that so we can dive right into UFC Tampa. Um, I'm just going to go down the, the way that MMA has it laid out. So my first pick was uh, Ally Quinta. had 1.25 units at plus 148. Um, very happy with that line. Uh, I thought there was a lot of value there, but Dan Hooker showed clear improvements uh, and continues to why uh, continues to show why he's such a great pro, uh, striker and uh, you know a force to kind of be reckoned with in that 155 division uh, moving forward. Uh, there's a lot of interesting matchups for him moving forward. Uh, you know, he's, he has that Barboza L on his record, but a loss to Barboza isn't the worst thing in the, in the world. So uh, he definitely still has a little bit of heat behind him. Good on anybody that played Daniel Hooker as well. Um, you know, I won't underestimate him again here either, nor will I overestimate Ali Quinta's skills. <laughs> uh, next up, we had 1.75 units at minus 142 on Diego Lima, as well as a 0.25 unit stab at plus 390 odds for him to win inside the distance. Uh, implemented the light kicks early and often. Uh, it paid dividends just like it did for Mike D. Casey last week. Um, and, you know, he was able to pretty much pick apart Luke Jamal at his will. Um very weird that it was a split decision. Obviously, one judge was sleeping, but there was no way you could give two rounds to Luke Jamal there. Um, I was um, expecting Luke to kind of open up a little bit more. I was expecting him to kind of blitz forward a little bit more, uh, and that's where I thought that Diego Lima was going to be able to catch him with his left hook. However, Luke Jamal just started, you know, just stayed content, uh, barely moving forward, uh, and that's why Diego Lima was really able to get the victory here. So I was happy with that. Wish I went a little bit deeper on Diego Lima. However, I'm happy with the line uh, and happy with the result. Next up, we had just uh, 1.5 units on, at minus 121 on Justin Taffa. This was a sloppy heavyweight contest in terms of one guy will probably knock the other guy out. However, I thought that Justin Taffa had a slight better, uh, you know, slight better usage of his technique and was a little bit sharper with the strikes uh, and showed a little bit better fight IQ in uh, his previous fights compared to Jorgen Castro. However, Jorgen DeCastro one punch walk off KOs him. Very unfortunate result for Taffa there, and unfortunate result for us. Uh, however, uh, my lock of the night play was Jorgen DeCastro 
and Justin Taffa to go under one and a half rounds at minus 123. Very surprised at why this line was so close considering the style of both of these guys. I don't know what people were thinking, uh, you know, that these guys were just going to lay on each other and cl- clinch fuck each other and, and just, you know, go over one and a half rounds or even go to a decision. I thought that was absolute blasphemy. I don't know why. Uh, you know, there was nothing that we could see in their past fights that would even attest to that. <laughs> but what it is what it is. I had 3.5 units at minus 123 to profit 2.85 units. Very happy with that outcome. Very happy with that results. Kind of wishing that I went the whole five units uh, to get even more profit, but... It is what it is. All right. Uh, next couple of fights that I had, I had 0.25 units at plus 415 on Zara Dos Santos against Megan Anderson. I said on Twitter right after she tapped, I would take that bet 10 out of 10 times because that is not the type of fighter that Megan Anderson is. Uh, you know, yeah, I'm not even going to get into Megan. Props to her. Good for her to get that win in her home country. Uh, so I can't knock her for that. Uh, and the next one that very, very much surprised me, the under one and a half on Taitui Vasa versus Sergei Spivak. I had 2.5 units at minus 166. And that is an L because it took 45, 44 more seconds for Sergei Spivak to pull off his submission of Taitui Vasa. Um, and that spurs us, unfortunately. So this is why I more than off, more often than not enjoy playing the fight doesn't go to decision more than the unders. Uh, but I I just did not see how this could go past one and a half. And it did. <laughs> this will be one of those episodes where you guys will get me yawning a lot. It's been a long fucking day. Let's just put it that way. All right. So, like I said, UFC 243, it was a loss. Minus 1.67 units. I got to figure out what the fuck is going on because I've been falling off a cliff since UFC Fight Night 152 which was right after UFC 237. So since then, it's been a steady decline. It's very unfortunate. Uh, I do have to get my uh, UFC Shenzhen updated as well, too. I hate bugging my man, uh, Mike Tycoon, but he did miss my luck. My luck that I played seemed to disappear from my Shenzhen uh, thing. And uh, yeah, it, it portrays a smaller profit than I actually gained that li- that night. But regardless, it's still been a steady decline from there. Uh, and we're right back at it for UFC Tampa this weekend, which overall, I think it's a decent card. You know, you got Ioanni and Jacek at the top there. Uh, the return of Mackenzie Dern after she had her kid. Luis Pena versus Matt Favola, which is a very interesting fight. Uh, Eric Anders versus Gerald Mearshart, which probably could be fight of the night. James Vick making his 170 debut against a hard-hitting Nico Price. Uh Davison Figueredo versus Tim Elliott, which is which should be a very fun flyweight fight. Um, Marvin Vittori versus Andrew Sanchez, which was rescheduled from the Vancouver card because of an eye injury, I believe Andrew Sanchez had sustained. Uh, and then we got JJ Aldridge coming back as well, uh, and we got you know Cub Swanson against Cron Gracie, which should be very interesting too. So. A lot of interesting points, uh, you know, that most of these guys are at in their career and these women. Uh, so a victory here is definitely very important for them uh, moving forward. All right, let's get this fucking card started. Um, I'm hoping I can get it in uh, a good amount of time, but I'm not going to rush myself too much, even though I got something to do right after this. So let's just get the fuck into this. Uh, J.J. Aldrich versus Lauren Mueller, starting off with J.J. Aldrich. She's a girl that I'm very much impressed with. Um, I, I very much uh, 
Emma's a fan of her grinding style. Um, I thought she was going to be able to put on Macy Barber a little bit last fight, uh, but Macy shows she's kind of she's kind of the real deal. You know, she is still quite young, but she has a lot of good skills, and the fact that she was able to finish JJ Aldridge just goes to attest uh, how good that Macy Barber actually is. So that pushed Macy Barber to 7-0, and and that pulled uh, J.J. Aldrich back down to 7-3. and uh, This line, this fight is lined relatively close, minus 170-ish. Well, not as close anymore, but minus 170-ish for J.J. Aldrich, and I think that's very much warranted here against Lauren Mueller, who I believe has been underachieving for the last couple fights. Um, so J.J. Aldrich, you know, she had a lot of good... Uh, showings between her Chan Mijion fight, Danielle Taylor fight, and Poliana Vienna, and then she ran into Macy Barber, whereas Lauren Mueller, I believe, is coming off of two straight losses to Poliana Botello, who is, um, you know, a very dangerous fighter in her own right, uh, and also Yinan Wu, who has been doing very well as well. So, um, you know, Lauren's only real UFC win now has been Shannon Dobson. She had her Dana White Contender Series win as well over Kelly McGill Velasco. Uh, and I think she has her work a little bit cut out for here too. You know, she's mainly, uh, she's a better striker than, uh, you know, uh, than Aldrich, I would say, but I, I wouldn't say enough to the point that JG Aldrich wouldn't be able to, um, you know, outgrind her. We saw Yunan Wu pull off a huge upset and actually pull the victory out of Lauren Mueller's hands, uh, with an arm bar in round one. Uh, but with JJ Aldrich, uh, I don't know if we're going to get a submission per se, but I think we're definitely going to get, uh, an, an, a relentless onslaught of pressure and grinding. And I think that J.J. Aldrich will be able to grind this fight out. Um, unfortunately, I think that would be the end of UFC, uh, the UFC career of Lauren Mueller. But I really like J.J. Aldrich here. I'm going to be looking to play her. Uh, I want to see where the odds go themselves. I know a lot of people like taking dog shots on the women's MMA fights. But I definitely think that Andre Ewell, or sorry, pff, J.J. Aldrich has the tools to win this fight. And I think she will perform uh, and get back on the winning track. Um, so I'm taking Aldridge by decision. All right, Marvin Vittori versus Andrew Sanchez. I don't want to get into this one too much because nothing has really changed from the last breakdown. Uh, I will put the bio, or sorry, I will put the description in the bio uh, for, oh, God damn. I will put the link in the bio, in the description of this uh, video uh, for my last breakdown of Marvin Vittori versus Andrew Sanchez. It is, I'm going to admit it, it's not a fight that I actually went over again just due to the fact that I already knew that I was going to bet Andrew Sanchez. I still might bet him here. Um, I'm trying to remember at what, uh, I don't believe I have the odds available for me right now as to which odds I actually bet him last time, uh, but I will be looking at those and seeing him at that those heavy dog odds still, I will be betting Andrew Sanchez again very minimally. Like last time, I only put a 0.5 unit stab on him. I think I still will do the same this time around. Skillfully, I still think he's the better fighter. Uh, it's just his cardio issues that we need to worry about. But like I said, in the description below, if you're watching this on YouTube, I will link the episode where I spoke about the fight in detail. Uh, and I'll give you guys the timestamp as well so you guys can really get into that. Um, so let's just move the fuck on. We got Hector Aldana versus Miguel uh, Beza. Uh, you know, I'm not the most... One thing that I've been taught, and we were kind of reminded of, the, of this last time around with uh, Mackie Patola as well. I didn't bet it, thank God, but UFC debutants scared me now. I don't know what it is, but guys that look like wreckers on the on Contender Series or even in the regional scene, they come into the UFC and they lay an egg. 
Askar Askarov was destroying it over in Russia and uh, those promotions over there. And he comes out here and goes to a draw, possibly should have been a loss against Brandon Moreno. Uh, and then Mackie Patola last week comes out there uh, and lays an egg against the guy in Callum Potter that a lot, a lot of people thought had a chance of winning that fight. So uh, Miguel Bazea currently sitting around the minus 200 range. I'm not interested in that. You know, Hector Aldana has a lot of power in his hands. Uh, probably the most one-dimensional fighter that you'll probably see out there. Uh, you know, he trusts in his striking and his hands and his power a little bit too much. And I think that Miguel Bezea, uh has uh, the, the, the hand speed to actually catch Hector here and hurt him and put him out. However, I'm not trusting a UFC debut at the minus 200 range. So my pick is Miguel, but I'm going to pass on this fight uh, due to the fact that I could see it kind of go either way because Hector Aldana is a tough guy. I'll give him that. Uh, and he might be able to land on Beza uh, and make it an interesting fight. So too many question marks in that fight, including the UFC debut of uh, of, of Miguel as well. So that's going to back, back me off a little bit from actually betting Beza here. So I'd be wary of putting him into parlays. Um, but if the line closes, like if we get Bazea around the minus 150-ish range, I wouldn't be mad at possibly poking a bet on him at that point. But minus 200, too much for me right now. All right, let's, next up we got Andre Ewell against Marlon Vera. Starting off Andre Ewell, he's coming off a victory over Anderson Dos Santos last time around. Very close fight, still won a unanimous decision. Uh, but in the fight before that, he was stopped by Nathaniel Wood with less than a minute left in the third round back in December. Um, I think he has his work cut out for him in this fight as well. You know, um, <clears throat> I think that Marlon Vera is m very much making his strides uh, in this division. What's he sitting at? Minus 170? That's actually not bad for uh, Marlon Vera. So, like last week, like I said, Diego Lima and Luke Jamau are guys that I always looked at as potential fade territory. And if they were going up against anybody that I thought would even give them a little bit of a hindrance, I would look to bet against them. Marlon Vero is one of those guys as well, but he is proving me time and time again that this motherfucker is back. You know, I think I bet him a little bit. I, I bet against him a little bit in the Waligi Buren fight. Uh, in the Frankie Sainz fight, I know I bet against him as well. Uh, and then no Helen Hernandez, I didn't, but uh, I didn't expect him to win that fight either. So uh, in comes Andre Ewell, who I believe may have the better striking here, but Marlon Vera has this thing where like he just turns on a switch and he's just going to go forward and he will put the pressure on. And, and it's evident in that Noah Helen Hernandez fight where after he got up from, uh, I forgot how he got, I, th I think he got dropped or I can't remember exactly what happened, but he got up, turned the switch on, whatever the fuck it was, uh, and started going at Noah Helen Hernandez, rocked him, dropped him, and then pulled up uh, in a rear naked choke. So we, we know that when he really steps on the gas, he could be a threat. Um, he needs to be a little bit more careful against Andre Ewell, as I believe he has a little bit sharper striking. But if this fight gets to the ground, I expect Marlon Vera to kind of style on Andre Ewell here. His jiu-jitsu is his, his strong part, no doubt about it. Uh, he has great top pressure. He has great jiu-jitsu. Um, and it hurts to even say this because I've always wanted to fade Marlon Vera. But you, you got to recognize when guys are actually turning a corner and are actually, you know, going to be very, very successful and I think that Marlon Vera, you know, I don't think he's going to get a title shot or anytime soon or anything like that anytime soon. But I think he's going to hold that top 10 to 15 range hostage uh, and be like a true gatekeeper. So I, I don't think that Andre Ewell is going to be able to get past the gate this time. And I think that uh, Max, Max, Marlon Vera is going to submit him. I'm going to say third round. 
going to say it's a little bit of a tough battle. Maybe uh, Andre Iwo is able to win the first round, but I think that eventually Mar- Marlon Vera is going to be able to come uh, and you know, put it on Andre Ewell, eventually get this fight to the ground, and then find the submission tap. Uh, I might look to bet Marlon Vera here, but um, I want to see what happens with the line first. It's still early. It's only Monday of fight week. All right. Next up, we have a very, very exciting fight between Tim Elliott and Davison Figueredo. Davison Figueredo is coming off a victory over Alessandro Pantoja last time around. That just shows that this guy is still a tough cookie in the 125 division, even though he lost to Juicy Formiga before that. Um, this is an interesting fight because Tim Elliott has a very wacky style, as we're all aware. Um, you know, he, he goes for weird roles and, and his striking is unorthodox. He has unorthodox movement himself. Uh, but I think it's going to be tough to pull off against a guy like Davison Figueredo. Do I agree with Davison being around a minus 220 favorite? Probably not. Uh, one thing that Tim Elliott is going to ha- have in his back pocket is cardio and the ability to push a pace that could possibly tire out uh, a Davis and Figueredo later in the fight. We've seen Figueredo kind of, uh, you know, f- gas in the past, and the only time it's really come to bite him in the butt is a Juicy Formiga fight because he's always, you know, he was undefeated going into that fight. Uh, but I think that Tim Elliott poses a, a different type of pressure uh, that could make things interesting here against Davison. I'm not completely sold on betting Tim Elliott, uh, but that might change if I can get him even like in the plus 200 range. Uh, but it, it's tough for me to bet against a guy like Davison Figueredo, who you know has established himself as like a top five guy in the 125 division, um, and I think his striking is really what's going to get to Tim Elliott. <sighs> I'm going to pick, fuck, this is tough. My mind might change a little later in the week, uh, but right now, I might have to lean with underdog here, Tim Elliott. Um, I think that Elliott could pull off a decision victory. Uh, you know, he's coming off that Anaconda choke victory over Mark De La Rosa last time around. Lost to Ben Wynn uh, via rear naked choke 49 seconds into the fight back in 2017, which is just ridiculous. Um, but man, it's, it's so tough for me to pick a side here, but like it should be closer to minus one, one fifty for Davison. So if you want to take that into consideration, I think Tim Elliott is definitely worth a dog play here. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to go with Tim. I I think that his pace is going to be a little bit too much for Davison. I could see him stealing the second round and stealing the third round for a decision victory. Uh, but Fuck, uh, again, my my opinion might change, and depending on where the odds go, uh, my money might change as well, too. So uh, as of right now, Monday before fight week, I'm going to go with Tim Elliott by decision, uh, but I really like Davison Figueredo, uh, and I think that he could definitely win this fight, too. But if you're putting a gun to my head right now, I'm going to say Tim Elliott. All right, next up we got Alex Moreno, or Alex Morono <laughs> versus Max Griffin. I'm going to quickly gloss over this fight because I'm not... The most impressed with it, even though I should be, uh, at least in terms of odds, the odds are relatively close. You know, minus 145 for Max Griffin, plus 125 for uh, Alex Morono. Uh, I'm still not sold on Griffin. You know, he's coming off a decision victory over Zalim Mimadiev, um, a guy who's still relatively green in his career. Uh, but Max Griffin is coming into his 22nd fight uh, against Alex Morono himself, who has, you know, 
this will be his 22nd fight as well, which is very weird. Morono is coming off of two victories, his last one being very impressive over Zach Otto. I think you got to go with the dog or pass situation here. I believe Morono has the better jujitsu. Um, I think Griffin has the better wrestling. So this might be a, a fight that stays on the feet. And Max Griffin could easily like pick him apart and, and kind of run away with the fight in that aspect. Uh, but I think that Morono packs some heat. Um, he's a little bit of a zombie. I, I don't know. I, I I don't feel confident betting Max Griffin as a favorite here, nor do I feel comfortable betting Alex Morono actually as an underdog due to the fact that Max Griffin can, can pull that Mike Perry type game plan out and just pick apart uh, Morono on the feet. Um, you know, stay on his bicycle, try to gain as many points as he can that way. Uh, I don't think that Morono will be able to get him down. Uh, and uh, I don't think Max Griffin will, you know, mess around too much with clinching or or, or trying to get this fight to the ground. So uh, I, I like Griffin here to win by decision. Um, I won't be mad at anybody betting, you know, uh, Alex Morono at dog odds, but I wouldn't feel comfortable betting Max Griffin at favorite odds either. So... I like I like Griffin here, and I'm going to take him to win by decision. All right, next up we got Devin Clark versus Ryan Spann. Devin Clark coming off a great victory over Darko Stosic last time around where he saw him remain very, very composed and disciplined and, and stay away from the big shots of Darko Stosic no matter how much Stosic was kind of waving him on. And then we got Ryan Spann on the other side who's riding a 6-5 winning streak. You know, had a vicious knockout over Noguera back at UFC 237 in May. Um, I think this is going to be a, a thing of, you know, if Ryan Spann isn't able to uh, land that knockout shot in the first round and a half, Devin Clark will probably be able to outpoint him, maybe even outgrind him. Uh, Spann's a big dude for a light heavyweight. Uh, but I think Devin Clark's uh, wrestling is good enough to be able to get Ryan Spann down and probably hold him down. Uh, so I don't feel comfortable betting Ryan Spann here, uh, but I don't feel comfortable betting Devin Clark either with his chin issues. Ryan Spann is a powerful motherfucker, and it is going to be hard for Devin Clark to initially take him down. Uh, but I think that as the fight wears on, it's going to be tougher for Ryan Spann to stay on the feet. That's where I think that Devin Clark will be able to take advantage. So it's just too many question marks for me. Um you know, is Devin Clark's chin going to hold up? And is Ryan Spann uh, going to be able to notch that finish within the first round and a half? Uh, let's see what Spann inside the distance is. Spann wins inside the distance is minus 120. So, I don't know. I, it's just the odds don't make enough sense for me, actually. If anything, I might make, like, if it gets to, like, plus 100 for Spann inside the distance, I might make a small play on that. Uh, but I just... It's hard for me to t trust either one of those guys uh, at more compelling odds, I should say. So uh, I'll take Span by first round KO, uh, but don't put any money on it unless it's inside the distance plus 100 or better. Next up, we got James Vick versus Nico Price. This is another one of those fights where I think that James Vick is a very talented guy. And I think this is a division that might... Uh, do better for him, at least in terms of his health and, and potentially helping out his chin issues. Uh, but skillfully, he'll need to uh, get rid of that tall man defense. I don't know what the fuck it is, but these guys love to have their chin up in the air and they think that these guys won't be able to catch them if they lean back. But I think, uh, you know, once him 
you know, with him coming up to the 170 division, he's going to have to mind it a little bit more because these guys are going to be just as big as him and they're going to kind of catch that tall man defense right off the bat and be able to put this guy out. So Nico Price, not the most talented guy, but the one of the more athletic and um, one of the more um, powerful guys, guys there too who, has, who have a lot of knockout power. Um, I think that... I think that James Vick is going to have a tough time with Nico Price's power. Uh, what's Price inside the distance? He's currently sitting straight around minus 155, minus 130 for him to win inside the distance. So I don't know, man. Uh, one thing's for certain, this fight will probably not go to a decision. Nico Price is very sloppy with his style, and I think that James Vick could hit him with that tight striking and, and definitely make, some more, uh, make it harder for Nico Price. It's it's these goddamn chin issues with some of these guys that are very talented, uh, which makes me very hesitant to actually bet them. James Vick, you know, he's coming off the Gagey loss and then the Paul Felder loss, which is where he got clipped a lot of times, even lost a decision. But then Dan Hooker comes out there and absolutely bullies him and and gets the finish halfway through the first round. Uh, I think... Nico, Pro- Nico Price just has devastating power. Everybody remembers his finish of Randy Brown, was able to generate all that power from his back and still knock out Randy Brown. Um, so it's it's tough for me to bet against Nico Price here against uh, or with a guy that has known chin issues and is testing out his body at a different weight class as well. So we'll see if this is one of those cowboy moments where uh, James Vick starts to hit his stride and actually does some damage in the 170 division. But uh, skill-wise, I think he should give Nico Price problems. It all depends on how long his chin can start taking those shots and if he's going to be able to to actually handle them. So I'll go Nico Price first-round KO, but uh, it wouldn't surprise me if James Vick's chin held up and he was able to actually get the get the victory by outpointing Nico Price and then maybe finishing him later in the fight. All right, next up, goddamn, I hit tripod again. All right. Let's get right into this. Eric Anders versus Gerald Mearshart. I said at this, uh, said this at the top of the show. This could possibly be fight of the night, just with the two styles of these guys. I think that Eric Anders is, uh, you know, getting right back on track after he finished Vinicius Mojeo, you know, a minute and twenty seconds into that first round. Oh. Ah, what is that number two? Yeah, number two. <laughs> All right, um, Eric Anders coming into this fight. Uh, finishing Vinicius Mojeo back in June, uh, relatively quick turnaround. Just under th- uh, three months later, he comes in and fights Gerald Mearshart. Um, we know Eric Anders. You know he's he's not the most technical striker on the feet, but he holds a lot of power. One of the more uh, explosive guys out there as well. Uh, you know he covers a lot of ground with his blitzes. Uh, I think he'll have decent enough takedown defense to keep this fight on the feet which is where I think he'll have the advantage against Gerald Mearshart but I think that Gerald if he's able to get this fight to the ground he should be able to have a little bit of success there he's a really good jiu-jitsu player uh can definitely find a lot of different chokes and a lot of different finishes uh but I think it's going to be hard for him to actually get Eric Anders down and get that type of finish you know he was a pretty decent underdog against Trevin Giles his last time around uh, you know, plus 145, cashing as the underdog there. Uh, but he was coming off of two losses to Jack Hermanson and Kevin Holland in the fight before that. I truly believe that Eric Anders will be able to clip and finish Gerald Mearshart within a round and a half here. Um, what are the odds? What are the odds? What are the odds? Uh, 
minus 160 Eric Anders. Uh, Anders really stung me in that fight when he when he fought Khalil or Tyleel Roundtree. We saw that if anybody had you know better technical striking and better movement, they'd be able to pick apart Eric Anders, and and that's exactly what Khalil Roundtree did. I just don't expect that type of performance from a Gerald Mearshart. I think he knows that his best path to victory here uh, is by getting Eric Anders down, but I think he's going to have a tough time with that, and I think that Anders will be able to put him out before he's even able to get a takedown. Uh, so I'll take uh, Anders by second round TKO. I think the first round would be a little bit of a feeling out process, and then Anders really goes for it in the second round. Uh, but I'm taking Anders by second round TKO. Uh, not sure if I'll bet him at the minus 160-ish range that he's at. All right, next up, Luis Pena versus Matt Frivola. Very, very intrigued by this fight, uh, but very intrigued by the fight doesn't go to decision prop. Uh Luis Pena, really good wrestler, right? lanky guy for the division, coming off of two wins now over Steven Peterson and Matt Wyman. Who the fuck knew Matt Wyman was coming back? Um, but he goes in there, gets the victory over Wyman, uh, and comes in against Matt Favola, who's coming off a big victory himself over Jalen Turner. Not a lot of people were picking Favola to win that fight just due to how good Jalen Turner was looking. Uh, and this is a very interesting clash of styles. You get a guy in Matt Favola, both wrestlers, uh, Matt Favola, a little bit more of a power striker. Uh, he does that wrestling. You know, you guys have heard me for many, many podcasts now. A lot of re- a lot of wrestlers love that blitz right hook or blitz power hand, whatever stance that they're coming from. Uh, they like to wing that power power hand, uh, and they kind of leave themselves open to like straight shots. Uh, I think. I think Favola has that 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 forward pressure style that could break Luis Pena. Gosh, damn! Fuck! I hate yawning. <laughs> All right. Uh, yeah, I think Favola has that forward pressure and that winging style that could actually clip Luis Pena. I'm not sure if he'll be able to finish him or even land hard enough to to get the finish here. But I wouldn't be surprised if he kind of abandons that game plan in the first round and tries to start to wrestle Luis Pena. But I think he's going to have a lot of issues there. I think Pena is a very good wrestler. He does a really good job of getting back to the feet. Um, and he you know, he, he does a lot of good work in the tie clinch as well. His knees are pretty brutal. So I think there's a, a good chance of this fight to not go to a decision just due to their violent nature, just both of them, and, and how much power and, 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 and ferocity they actually put into their strikes. And I think that the fact that, you know, both of their, you know, two of uh, Luis Pena's last three fights went to a decision, while last two from Afrovola have been to a decision, I think that might have a little bit to do with the plus money on the fight doesn't go to decision. So I'll wait for the under two and a half to come out. That might get closer to plus 200, plus 180, so I might look at betting that. Tough for me to pick a side here. I'm really high on Luis Pena. I think he has a lot of good values and a uh, a lot of good um, advantages, a lot of good skills. I think he could definitely be a, a big tr- big trouble for guys in this division. Um, and I like the way that they're kind of bringing him up here. You know, he has a loss to uh, Mike Trezano three fights ago, uh, but he's building himself back up. I think that was a great learning experience for him. Uh, and I think that we're only going to get a better Luis Pena. And it's definitely going to show here. So I like Luis Pena to win this fight by third round TKO. I think that uh, he kind of withstands the Favola pressure for three rounds. And then in the third round when Favola starts to... Uh, you know, slow down a little bit. Uh, Luis Pena will take advantage, probably get the takedown, and then elbows head into oblivion. So, taking Luis Pena by third round TKO. Three fights left. 
And we are welcoming back Mackenzie Dern. She's coming back after having a kid. The last time she fought was May of last year. So this is kind of a quirker turnaround, I believe. But this girl looked like she went right back into fight camp after she had her kid. Uh, not one picture of her looking fat or even looking out of shape uh, after that pregnancy. And it's kind of a testament, I believe, to a little bit of her work ethic. You know, she's kind of been knocked for that in the past by her past coaches and Duke Rufus. Uh, oh, sorry, um, John Crouch from the MMA lab. Kind of mistake those guys sometimes. They kind of look alike. But, uh, you know, she's working at Black House now. We all know about her jiu-jitsu. She has ridiculous jiu-jitsu. Uh, what is that? Two, three, four out of her seven wins are by uh, by submission. And I think that she has uh, Amanda Rebus beat here, at least in jiu-jitsu credentials. Uh, in striking, I think it's kind of a wash. Both of them are not that good on the feet. Amanda Rebus out there, you know, uh, very unimpressive with uh, her fight with Emily Whitmire, even though she was able to get the finish in the second round. You know, in that in that first round, the last minute or so, she had Emily's back and she easily gave it up. Uh, very, very poor uh, jiu-jitsu right there from Amanda Rebus, in my opinion. Uh, I don't think that Mackenzie Dern would allow that to happen. I think that she'd be able to she'd be able to find the finish if she had the back for that long. Um, I think she, uh, Mackenzie Dern could submit Amanda Rebus here. I'm not super impressed with it. I see a lot of money coming in on Amanda Rebus, which is a little bit questioning. Uh, it might be more so value, if anything. Uh, but I like Mackenzie Dern, and I might, 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 might place a bet on her. Uh, obviously, the only concerning thing is her coming back from, you know, having a child. Uh, we don't have too many instances of that where a younger fighter goes to have a kid and then comes back to fight. The only other person that really comes to mind when that happened was, uh, or when that has happened in the past, is Juliana Pena. And I believe she came back and she beat Nico Mantano uh, in her first fight back as a mother. Um, so good for her. Uh, yeah, it was uh, Nico Mantano. She came back, you know, two and a half years later, whereas Mackenzie Dern has only taken a year and a half off. So we'll see how much that uh, has to do with it as well. But I like Mackenzie Dern here. I think she has the better jujitsu. I see this fight going to the ground and I see her having the advantages. So I'm taking Mackenzie Dern uh, by submission. I'm going to say second round. Speaking about jiu-jitsu, we got Cobb Swanson versus Crone Gracie. Very, very excited for this fight. Crone Gracie not accepting any type of consolations or any... any. He's not giving up any ground in terms of competition, let's just say that. Uh, in his third fight alone, he fought Hideo Tokoro. Hideo Tokoro, uh, who was a... What is that? 50, 61, 63 fight veteran. He goes out there and submits him in the first round, or at least Risen's first round, which is nine minutes and 40 seconds into that round. Uh, and then next up fights fucking Tatsuya Kawajiri. If you are an MMA fan and have been around for a while, you know that Kawajiri is no fucking joke. And the fact that he was even able to get Kawajiri down and you know implement his jiu-jitsu leaves me no doubt that he'll be able to get Cub Swanson down in him and implement his jiu-jitsu. I love Crone Gracie. I love what he has to offer. I love, uh, you know, he's still young. His jiu-jitsu is just fucking swarming. He's always looking for finishes. All of his finishes, uh, all of his fights have been finishes. Um, you know, Cub Swanson as well. Um, Fallen on tough times. It's unfortunate that he's had four L's in a row, 
but big, big names as well. Brian Ortega, Frankie Edgar, Hanato Moicano, and then Shane Burgos. It was a split decision. He looked decent in that fight, uh, but the, that's not the type of fight that he should be expecting this time around against uh, Crone Gracie. So he might have a little bit of success on the feet here, but I think that Crone does a good job of closing distances and uh, getting a hold of opponents and kind of dragging them into his world. He just has something about him where he's able to back guys up and then just jump on them and, you know, start working his jujitsu game. Uh, I don't think he'll have that much issue with doing the same thing with Cub Swanson. Cub Swanson doesn't have the best takedown defense. Uh, and even Brian Ortega, you know, he he kind of pulled guard with that choke, uh, switching positions midair too, which was ridiculous, uh, and then uh, pulled off the submission there. But uh, I, I just don't see how Cub Swanson fends off uh, a 15-minute attack of from Chrome Gracie, who's always just going to be coming forward, trying to cut off the cage, trying to get you against the cage, get his hands on you, and then get him get you into his uh, jiu-jitsu game. So uh, I'm taking Crone here by, I'm going to say, second-round submission. I, I just don't see how he loses this fight. I I love his chin. You know, he is stand-up that has, you know, leaves something to be desired. Uh, and that's definitely Cub Swanson's uh, ace in the hole here. But I just don't think that he's going to be able to keep it on the on the feet enough uh, or at least keep Crone away enough. Uh to you know outpoint crone i just don't see him being able to put enough power behind his strikes as well you know dealing with the forward pressure of crone so i don't think that he's going to knock out crone uh and i don't see him be able to do that type of game plan for 15 minutes and beat crone gracie so i'm taking crone by second round submission his line is kind of getting better um crone inside the distance is minus 120 that might be the lock and then i played 3.5 to 4 units on crone inside the distance that might be the shot so I'm taking Crone, second round uh, submission, and it's possibly going to be a lock of the night play for me. So make sure you guys keep your eyes out for that. But we'll see later in the week. All right, that brings us to our main event of the evening. Ioanni and Jacek versus Michelle Watterson. Very, very excited for this fight. Uh, stylistically, it's a very fun fight because I think it's a fight that will mainly be contested on the feet. However, I could see Michelle Watterson trying to go for takedowns, but we uh, we know Ioanni and Jacek's uh, takedown defense is top, top level. So let's talk about Ioanni and Jacek real quick. She hasn't fought since she lost to Valentina Shevchenko last December where she was challenging for the flyweight title, which was recently vac vacated by Nico Montano, and then they were fighting for it. And obviously Val we know what's going on with Valentina Shevchenko and how she's just been wrecking bitches ever since she got that gold. Um, this is a fight with Michelle Watterson now where I think the winner could definitely be lining themselves up for a title shot. We got Wally Zhang out there who could possibly fight, I believe, Tatiana Suarez. Um, but, you know, I think the winner of this fight kind of establishes themselves as a number one contender, um, at least after Tatiana Suarez. So Michelle Watterson, you know, very, very tough uh, girl, uh, a tough mom. You know, a lot of people rag on her for being a mom and, and having that mom quit. But she's pulled out the victory in her last three fights against Courtney Casey, Felice Herrig, and Karolina Kavakovic. And now she comes in here against a girl that probably has the best striking that she's ever faced. Um, I think it, it's going to be very tough for Watterson uh, to implement her karate style against a, a very fast striker in Ioanni and Jacek who, you know, she doesn't really give make too many mistakes when she's fighting. Um you know, she she has quick kicks. Um, her hands are really quick, too. Um, she has decent movement. 
I think it's going to take her at least a round or so to get used to the the type of striking and and movement of a Michelle Watterson, but I don't think it's nothing that she can handle. Um, you know, like I said, I think Michelle Watterson, if anything, will be the one going for takedowns, but I think that she will just tire herself out a little bit um, quicker if she decides to go that way. And I could definitely see a five-round decision for Ioana here completely outpointing Michelle Watterson. I wouldn't even be surprised by maybe if a fifth-round finish. But we've seen Michelle Watterson go into deep waters in the past when she was champion over at uh, Invicta. Uh, you know, wins over Jessica Pena, uh, Yasuko Tamara. She lost to Hariko Tiburcio uh, and for some reason got signed to the UFC right after that, which is kind of unheard of, uh, but good for her. She beats Angela Magana, Paige Van Zandt, then loses to Rose Namajunas and Tisha Torres, and then is on that three-fight winning streak that she's on right now. So I just don't think her karate style or her her striking style is going to fare well against a girl like Ioanni and Jacek. And I think that Ioanni and Jacek is like a shoe-in to always pretty much win unless she's fighting a girl like Wiley Zhang or or um, Rose Namajunas. So I, I, I'd look to parlay Ioanni and Jacek uh, but what's her to win by decision? Minus 160 by decision. I might play to... <sighs> I got to look for something to potentially parlay her with. Uh, or it might even be a uh, an open parlay that I'll have with next event uh, to possibly parlay her with somebody on that Boston card. Uh, the odds are all out for that now too. So I'll probably look into that a little bit. Harder, maybe the under one and a half on the Greg Hardy and uh, Ben Sassoli fight. Um, but I like Joanna. You know, the last time I parlayed her, obviously she laid an egg against Rose Nami Yunus, and that kind of scared me off of parlays moving forward. Uh, but I'm I'm slowly warming up to it again. Probably won't be going lock of the night deep on these parlays anymore. Uh, but I think that there's a lot of value on Joanna and Jacek, even though she's in the minus 380 range. Um, I don't know even why people. some people are saying that she might be on the decline. But even if she is on the decline, she's going to beat a girl like Michelle Watterson. Let's be real. Like, She is still very talented. She still has her speed. She still has her jiu-jitsu. Her chin is not totally gone. And nor do I think that Michelle Watterson is going to pose a knockout threat either. So Ioana should win this no problem by decision or at least a late finish, maybe fourth or fifth round. But if you guys are going to force me to do it, I'm going to say you want to buy fifth or by by decision by fifth round decision. That makes absolutely no sense, but you guys know what the fuck I mean. Yuana wins all 25 minutes of this fight against Michelle Watterson. Maybe gives up the first round just due to getting used to the the or you know kind of downloading the information of a Michelle Watterson type uh, and then implementing her game and just winning from there. It's it's tough for me to see. Uh, a way that Michelle Watterson wins this fight because I just don't think she's going to get her down, nor do I think that she's going to outstrike Yohani and Jacek. So good on Michelle Watterson for taking this fight, and it'll be um, even good, better on her if she's able to pull out the victory here. Just I just don't think that it's going to happen. So that's it for UFC Tampa. Uh, super happy to get this episode out for you guys. Um, Appreciate all the kind words on the last podcast, UFC 243. Um, I had teased at the beginning of that episode that I was going to have a guest on. Technical difficulties held us back from that. But I believe my next guest will definitely be on. And it will be for UFC 244, which is the MSG card, uh, which I'll be recording at the end of October. And I already have the guest plan for that. I know you guys are going to love him because you guys already love him.
Let's just put it that way. Um, but yeah, next up we have UFC Boston, which is next week. Um, I'm going to be out of town uh, at the ending of this week and spilling into early next week. So expect the podcast a little bit later next week, maybe on Wednesday or Thursday. I apologize that it's going to be later, but, uh, you know, it is what it is. Uh, but we will be breaking down the UFC Boston card, which is headlined by Chris Weidman and Dominic Reyes. I think there's a lot of intriguing fights on there, as well as a lot of close lines as well. So we'll see how that that uh, comes to be. Um, but that's pretty much it. Check out the website, MMALOTN.ca. Um, got my picks up there, as always. I don't have every, anything currently bet for the upcoming card, but you guys can take what you want from the podcast that you've uh, heard just now. And then also make sure you follow me on Twitter at MMALOTN as you guys will always hear my thoughts and read my thoughts throughout the week and see any of the bets that I make. Uh, Since the last event was a loss, the next three events for sure will be free. So I'll be posting all of those on Twitter as well as my betmma.tips page. So make sure you guys check out all of that shit. Subscribe to the channel. Hit like. Fucking drop a comment. uh, Support your boy. I got some big shit coming soon. Can't drop the beans yet, but I promise you guys will be happy with it, and I can't wait to fucking get it started and get it going uh, and do what I can to make it more enjoyable for you guys. All right, that's about it. We out of here. I'm out. Later.